and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office. If I'm John, I was a former correctional officer for six years. I was eventually promoted to the high rank of sergeant where I did some things before not being a correctional officer anymore. My co-host, as always, is Jake Motherfucker Welder. Jake, how are you doing today, sir? I'm excellent, as always. Uh, I, I don't know any other way. I woke up piss excellence. I'm drinking uh, a triple shot espresso now, so I'm amped up and ready to go. Yeah, you you cannot be stopped. Uh, a full team of men will need, be needed to take you down. Any cool uses of force in the past week at all, Jake? Uh, no, but mostly... Uh, I've been doing like short-term uh, write-ups for people for like minor shit, and I'm I'm done with it because I'm spending more time talking to them and talking them down than the actual like discipline is in place. If that makes sense, um, it's just it's yeah, it's just death by a thousand paper cuts with fucking retards lately at work. It's just been one one. Uh, sad pathetic excuse for a human being after another um and a lot of behind the scenes like just not uh, not fun stuff just a lot of disciplinary crap and meetings and stuff like that i'm doing well admin's happy everybody's still alive i didn't cut anybody down so that's a good it's a good week but it's just been just a lot of little stuff yeah jake i wanted to just give you some feedback we received a lot of positive feedback about the last episode in which we we uh Shared all our manly, sad feelings. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you. And to those of you who appreciated that previous episode, uh, it was good. We have a special treat today. Joining us uh, is a, a brand new correctional officer from somewhere on the Gold Coast, I guess. Joining us now is Reagan. Reagan has just become a correctional officer. She's, uh, she's already got quite a bit of stories, though. So welcome to the show, Reagan. Reagan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, that's a nice fake voice. She will not talk to you the, that way the entire time. She's oh, she's talking like the girly. like the worst correctional officers that you know are going to wash out in five minutes. Uh, I know. I Reagan, tried to sound nice and cute. Yeah. No, uh, I I like that you were possibly the the most uh, the mannish one here, the toughest one here, probably <laughs> easily. Uh, Reagan, uh, you don't have to say the name of the agency you just started working for. Watch to protect yourself. But how long have you been there? How, like, how long has it been since you first put on the uniform? And when, you know, how long has it been since you first got called officer? Uh, so I haven't got called officer yet. Uh, <laughs> I've been on there like uh, just over two months. 
Two months. Okay, but your story actually starts over six years ago when you first applied <laughs> applied to work there. Could you talk to us about what it was, you know, what made you want to become a correction officer? You know, what the hell were you thinking? And then like, how has that process been? Because you had, you and I have been chatting about it this entire time. You have had the longest application process that I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, well, it started off as I wanted to be a police officer. And uh, I think I went probably at least 10 um, different physical agility tests that I kept failing because I suck at running. Um, and I kind of just changed courses and started focusing more on corrections. And I thought that was going to be like a foot in the door type of thing. But then when I started doing more research and stuff, I was like, well, maybe this is a better fit for me. So um, I, I applied in October of 20. Uh, 22 so last year see we're not even and, sure the year when you think back on it you're having to th reach back so far in your mind yeah <laughs> yeah so that's when I applied and um, my first interview my physical agility test and my like preliminary background stuff was in November of last year and then uh, my start date was um, in September so yeah it was almost a, a full year later what was the holdup what took so long um, I don't really know. I was told because my background investigator was actually, um, he's like the head of whatever that division. So he said it takes him a little bit longer because he's having to sign off on everyone else's backgrounds for corrections and for police officers. So he said, basically, I kind of kept getting put on the back burner, uh, as, correctional officers I guess normally do because they're oh. so short on um on police officers so that's what they're doing they try to push them through like a you know three three month process for the police officers and the correctional officers it's like you'll get the job whenever you get the job oh uh, that's you'll find that we're going to be taking the backseat to them for the rest of your career uh so <laughs> it's sad but true and I, I don't i don't think it's fair it's something we've discussed on this show a lot so the reason why i asked this uh, about it taking so long and all this is it seems like it's a pretty solid agency if you know you're having to do uh physical fitness tests for to be a correctional officer you're going through these detailed background checks it's taking a long time for you to get there what has your experience been like since since you started your first day coming inside? Have you been doing classroom training? Have you gone to an academy? What, what's going on with your career now? So I think ours is a little bit different because uh, it's on the job training. So uh, I started off brand new, showed up to work, went to roll call. It was like, hey, baptism by fire. You're going to go ahead and start off. Uh, I think day two, I was doing strip searches. Um, I mean, they'd like throw you into it because they said a lot of times they'll find out, you know, someone who thinks that they don't have a weak stomach and the first time they have a code brown, they're, they're out of there. So they're like, we like to do that because it eliminates cost when we can get rid of someone within the first week and so that's how they do it there. I probably won't go to the academy for maybe another six months, but I have to get it done before the end of the year. COVID kind of changed it a little bit, but um, I guess 
now they're back to regular protocol. So within the first year, you have to have started the academy at least. You know, like you said, within on your second day, you're doing strip searches. If you don't feel like a correction officer, was that just a bizarre experience for you? Because, you know, one day you're doing your prior job and now you're seeing people naked for a living. Yeah, um, you know, it wasn't really that weird. I would say I was more nervous of making sure I'm doing all the steps because, like I said, I've had no, you know, prior training other than me listening to podcasts or doing my own research as far as procedure goes. It's like, here's a chart. These are the places you need to ask to look in or whatever. Good luck. And so I'm going off this chart. And I think I was so worried about what I say verbally. Uh, I think within like the first week, I got uh, not scolded, but I told so I told a lady to separate her feet. And I said, or no, I said, um, what you're supposed to say, separate your feet. And I said, spread your legs. And I was like, you need to spread your legs further. And they were like, oh, you cannot say that, you know. So I think to answer your question, it was more of, I was in my head. I was more like nervous. Jake, do you have that as an experience where like you're required to say certain things or you have to put it a certain way? I know when I worked at the state penitentiary, you know, everyone that I worked with was a felon. They were post adjudication. So we just had a, a guideline of being professional. Do you do you have things you're allowed to say and not say? Uh, yeah, there are some uh, no-no words um, from the state that they regulate things um, for all, like all of the agencies um, where I'm working. So um, there are some no-no words, mostly for reports and stuff like that. And they also, um, I don't know how if this is the same everywhere, but... Um, there's apps where you can listen to like dispatch and stuff on your phone. Well, you can actually listen to, it's like open source. You can listen to our radios um, for the different agencies and stuff also. So like when you're talking on the radio, somebody literally anywhere could be listening to it uh, online. So you have to try to be professional on the radio. Um, I remember I did have one sergeant back when I first started. And if you said like, so you'd say your locate where you're at to control, and then you would ask for something to roll a door or be rolled out of the location that you're at or things like that. And we had one uh, sergeant, if you said, uh, on the radio, or if you paused too long in between things, or you did, or you started talking before your mic was completely keyed, he would like call you up at the extension where you were at and yell at you and like, are you a fucking idiot? Like, do you realize where you're, where you are right now? If you don't know where you are, then you might as well hang up your radio. Like he was just a dick for the, the sake of being a dick. Um, but uh, as far as like when I'm, I'm working, I do help officers a lot with their reports. Um, it's kind of like, are you smarter than a fifth grader have to go through and try to, um, reword things, work on spelling and things like that. I'm like, yeah, you can't use this word or you can't use that word because um, the state agency, if they see that, because we have to send all our stuff to licensing, um, if if they see that in a report or the, the quotes for the way that you said this or said that, like that's that's not going to fly. So we have to we have to be careful. I like the way that you unpack that about you know being careful about how you what you say on the radio, what you put in reports, but just uh, talking to an inmate, giving verbal directives, you know, like I need you to spread your feet further apart versus spread your legs. 
do you do you guys have any guidelines like that at the jail that you work at? Uh, there's not we, like we don't have body cams, and there are some areas where it's like recorded and stuff um, where we have audio, but mostly it's video. So again, I mean, if if you said something that was sounded too incorrect, I mean, somebody could grievance it or whatever. But um, but yeah, they're not that quite that picky with things. I know for us, it's mostly like, hey, don't don't like escalate a situation or start something um however that is however you word it um you, you know don't escalate a situation or start something with somebody and then try to follow through with disciplinary you know unfortunately there are a small number of officers that will do things like that that's more what we focus on than like um the exact verbiage reagan how are you doing on the radio is that something that uh, is a normal part of your life before or you've had experience with or is that something you're struggling with now or what do you think about using the radio yeah i definitely wasn't used to it um i am struggling on it i'm getting better but luckily the guy that's working in control which they're always rotating where everyone's working but because he's injured he has to stay in control for a while so he's really good at it and i would come up with some mumbo jumbo and he would be like i got it i know what you're trying to say um but days that he's off i was really struggling um and going back to like cameras and stuff uh everything at my jail is all on camera and i the first two days i got lost in the jail multiple times throughout my day and then i'm like scared to talk on the radio because i didn't want them to be like you're taking up radio traffic because you're lost they don't make it easy to find things obviously for escape purposes or whatever so everything's just white walls and you go up and down elevators and we have multiple elevators and i would just get all turned around and i'm like i you know there's no arrows there's no they don't have things uh, clearly marked so i kept getting lost and he would go over the intercom separate from the radio and he'd be like, are you a little lost there? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, turn left, turn left again and then turn right. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And that was, that was a struggle. But then on top of that, you have like this, you don't want to get in trouble either. So I'm like looking around and I'm like getting lost. I'm like going towards the kitchen and I'm like, I have no idea where I am. And then I don't want to use the radio because then I would get in trouble for using the radio when it wasn't something that was necessary and just, you know, clogging up traffic for me being lost. First of all, I had that exact experience once when I was transporting an inmate to my local jail. The jail and the penitentiary are set up quite differently. The penitentiary is we don't really set things up in a confusing way because people are going to be there for years. So, I mean, they're going to learn the lay of the land anyway. Um we know if there's an area where they're not supposed to be or something that we try to keep separate from them or it's a secure area, you know, we just it's by key or it's by an electronic door open by control. I'm getting the impression from your story, kind of a detective. They're not pairing you with another officer. You're just in there by yourself. You're just walking around. <clears throat> well, I do have a training officer and he's very hands off. Like he's like. Let me know if you have questions. He's all about just throwing you right in. And I like that because he's not, 
like getting in my way and being like, here, let me just do it. He'll let me make mistakes. He'll stand back and like watch me make a mistake. As long as no one's safety is at risk, you know, he'll stand back and be like, so how do you think that went? I'm like, not well, you know? And he's like, yeah, you forgot to check the inside of their mouth, you know, you know, for a pat search or whatever. He's like, you forgot half your steps. I'm like, yeah, I did, you know? So I learn better that way. So I'm glad he does that. But yeah, he's very like, he steps back. <clears throat> um, he has special assignments. So he's working on his other special assignment stuff. Um, so he sends me off on my own. And he's like, same thing, baptism by fire type thing. And he's like, hey, you'll figure it out. And this goes to show like when you're in a pickle, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to freak out? Or are you going to you know, figure it out. I agree with that mode of training for a field training officer. Where I worked, we actually had an interim step where, you know, we went to the academy for two weeks. It's our correctional officer academy, which is only the beginning of the training, but it was classroom only. It was before you were even allowed to go inside. And then, yeah. um, and then uh, we would go into a program, which was called mentorship, where basically you shadow, you job shadow. So you're brought on for a day and you're just, you're given a post that day, whether you're working a gate, a tower, a, a certain cell hall or some other assignment. And you just, you're, you're connected at the hip to this other officer. The reason for that is to make sure you don't get killed, I guess is number one, but also just, you know, uh, so that you don't get lost, so that you're kept safe so that you know what to do so that you have backup right there. Are you saying that there's really no on the job, you know, hip to hip, mentorship type program like that i mean no at no point you were following someone around and watching what they do uh maybe the first day the first day he was with me the entire time actually no he wasn't because I, I still got lost on my first day so he was still sending me on errands and he knew control was watching me control knew i was a brand new officer so they were watching me on the cameras so that's why even without me having to use my radio, he was already on the intercom and was like, I see you are getting lost because you're heading into the laundry room and <laughs> that's not where you're supposed to be going or whatever. So yeah, I mean, the first couple weeks he was always around, but I mean, yeah, right away I was training and booking. So, uh, I had fresh arrestees off the streets, fighting and spitting and whatever, being combative. And he was there with me, but also looking to see how I was going to handle it. So it's definitely, it's definitely interesting because at this point, my first whole year, you know, if I get hurt, I'm out of a job. So I've never had a job like that before. I don't have anything to compare it to where I'm like, that's the scariest part of all is this could be completely out of my control. If one of these kicks my kneecap in and I, well, well thanks for trying out. Like <laughs> you're gone. That's, that's gotta be stressful. Jake, quick question for you. Cause you're someone as a Sergeant, you know, you're overseeing everybody, but particularly, you know, people coming in and doing training and they're brand new, uh first question and then i'll have you just kind of lay out how people come to become you know field training office, officer mentorship what what happens with brand new officers 
as a sergeant though would you would you trust a brand new officer to walk around your facility knowing that the person in control is watching over them for their safety yeah it is a little bit different where i'm working i did do uh field training for four and a half years before i got into the sergeant's position and and likewise i mean we have control but i also would be watching um on cameras kind of keeping half an eye on officers walking around when they hit the floor solo um the way it works for us is it's like a, a six-week training cycle and that's four weeks on the floor plus your initial week that you start off and they give you everything and do your tour and stuff like that and then uh 40 hour to get your certifications so we don't allow anyone to go on the floor until they've at least had their 40 hour now depending on um, when we're hiring people um, sometimes people start two weeks before other people so some might have the 40 hour at the beginning of their training cycle or towards the end of their training cycle uh, depending we've also had quite a few that come from other um, other agencies and stuff or have prior experience and we would keep that in mind and when they get towards the end of their training, once they've already been certified, that that's already that is something that has to happen before they're on their own. Um, but after that, it's kind of up to it's a collaboration between the field training officer and the officer. But also it's my call um, if I'm supervising, if they can be on their own and do tasks by the, on their own, if I'm comfortable with it. And that would be, you know, just my 10,000 foot assessment, looking at them on camera, watching them if they're wandering around or their body language with inmates. Sometimes I'll call them and be like, you're standing too close. Like <laughs> you need to maintain a, a little bit more distance or don't let people walk behind you or whatever. I guess from my experience, I can tell you as a working in the state penitentiary and as someone who was briefly in control, I was posted there for a while. I was way too busy opening doors, handing out keys, handing out firearms, um, helping with count, helping monitor the perimeter. I, there was no way I could ever be tasked to watch someone to make sure that they were safe as they were walking around the facility. So to me, the idea that like you're just going to be kept safe by someone who's just kind of a, an overwatch in a control room is nuts to me. And I would never have a, a new person do that. Uh, Reagan, uh, he's kind of talking about a lot of the the safety aspects of being a correction officer, people walking too close to you, people being in your reaction range, people being behind you. Uh, how are you dealing with that kind of situational awareness? Is that something that's coming naturally to you? Are people talking to you about that? Is that something you've ever thought about before? Uh, what do you think about that kind of situational awareness? Uh, I'm getting better at it, but it's something that I definitely struggled with, <clears throat> especially at the beginning, probably my first full month. Uh, they were like, these aren't your friends. These aren't, you know, people that you can trust, but yet, you know, they call you over with a question and you're getting, you know, you're standing a foot away from them. And so I definitely struggled with uh, keeping like a, a proper distance. So I'm getting better at that, but yeah, at the beginning, I definitely was just standing at a, a close range like you normally would. I haven't been in a law enforcement profession prior to this. So at my age, this is a, a second profession. So 
it wasn't something I ever took into account before where I worked, you know, I was dealing with clients. You were, you would hug them sometimes if they were close clients and you would talk to them up close and, and not only that with, uh, you know, being physically close with them, I struggled with constantly needing to be mindful of not saying anything about my personal life with inmates around. So that was something that was so different too, you know? Yeah. Having, having to kind of keep your psychological guard up all the time to sort of be a version of yourself that can't really be scrutinized by someone that wants to take advantage of you or use that information to harm you or to exploit you. It could be very difficult to do. It's almost like clenching a muscle initially. I remember when I was brand new, I was, I was definitely clinched, I guess you would say. And to the point where I wouldn't let anybody get to know me, not even my fellow officers. I was just sort of, uh, I was very aloof. I remember when uh, we finished uh, our academy process, we went out for lunch that day as a class and we were sitting down at this restaurant and I remember I cracked a joke and every single person in, in the whole class looked at me and they're like, who knew this guy was funny? Because I, I had been there for weeks with all these people and they knew nothing about me. I was so closed off and so guarded. So I know how tough that can be. I think one thing that's tough as a new correctional officer uh, is definitely having confidence. You have to have confidence every time you interact with an inmate. And confidence comes from time and confidence comes from knowledge. Are you able to fake that right now? Or can all the inmates just tell that you don't, you know, no offense to you, but that you really don't have any idea what you're doing yet? Yeah. Um, I, I'm getting better at faking it. Uh, I've had recently, my new thing is when I am, because I haven't trained in the mods yet, but I'll go there and relieve an officer for their 15 minute break or whatever. So I'll pop into a mod here and there. And they'll be like, oh, we've never seen you here before. And I'm like, you haven't? And I've worked here for years. And they're this like, oh, you have? When, when you say mod, do you mean module or a pod or a cell block? Is that what that means? Yes. So each of our modules have about uh, 60 inmates. Okay. And, and you then... tell them that you've been here for years? You just kind of straight oh, yeah. up lie, huh? No, but, but I'll laugh and I'll like tell them like, no, I haven't. And they're like, oh, you would have fooled me. So I'm like, well. That's a good sign. Um, but I, I, I mean, I let them know they're, they're going to find out anyway. I'm not trying to trick anyone either because of course you have to be straightforward with them or they'll eat you alive. I mean, that's true. Uh, at one I, point, you know, at, at some point I'm going to be in those mods with them. So I just use it as like a icebreaker, just joking with them. And, but they'll ask like, Oh, I've never seen you before. I'm like, you haven't. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. I've worked here for years. Uh, hmm. Jake, uh, does she strike you as someone who's going to be a good correctional officer? Because I very much like her approach on that. Right. Yeah, no, that's good to it's, it's the, we talk about it all the time. The, the mind fuck, like keeping people on their heels and stuff. Cause they have uh, one of our latest episodes. I don't know. A couple episodes ago, I was talking that uh, corrections officer was talking about how they have all day to think about you to try to manipulate you to uh, consider their options and what they're going to do and uh, how they might be able to utilize uh, newer officers and uh, to get what they want because they're still going to try to commit crimes and break rules behind behind bars that doesn't stop 
one thing I was going to ask you, Reagan, um, our control is just it's control. And then after business hours, they do the phones. Um, but other than that, like we have automatic key watchers and things like that. So the control officers can focus pretty much on control. But we also have a channel two um, on like a open mic, more like a intercom that they're able to use so you can talk directly to control do you guys have a radio channel or something like that that you can utilize to ask questions or um, relate things to control or is it just intercoms and smoke signals hand signals body language that sort of thing uh yeah i mean as far as i know we don't have that and unless this is a well-kept secret by them i haven't been introduced to anything like that it's go possible on, you on. haven't done the blood the blood oath or anything yet, so they they're not telling you their deepest, <laughs> darkest secrets yet. Yeah, if you yeah. get invited to a to a, any kind of ceremony after midnight in which you're wearing a robe, you know that you're in. <laughs> uh, we never had a discrete channel to control. I like that idea. I wish that had been something I had talked about. Generally, my ideas got ignored, and then uh, they would be implemented later when they were someone else's idea. Case in point, we were having uh, serious incidents on uh, out of facility transports. And uh, I would have my radio, but that wouldn't reach the repeater that was at the at the penitentiary. So, so you know, we confiscate all these cell phones from all these inmates. We got a big box full of deactivated cell phones. Is there any reason why we can't just have those on chargers and control? And then you give that to me. And then if I have an escape or some kind of problem, I can at least use that to dial 911. I can at least be talking to the local dispatcher about what's happening. And then they can help with our communications. They said, no, that's not a good idea. We're not going to do that. I'm like, okay, so, you know, you don't care about people escaping or me getting ass kicked. That's cool. Particularly when I offered you a, a solution that cost you zero dollars, you know, you don't want to go for that. And then uh, and then we had an even more terrible and serious incident later. And then all of a sudden it was like, now we've got 10 cell phones that are that are paid for and that work. And now we hand them out on every transport. So uh, my idea was was at first disregarded as impossible. And then they implemented an even more impossible program just to be our, our standard operating procedure. That's kind of how it went for me. Uh, what what other things are you seeing as a brand new correctional officer? What kinds of things are challenging you? What's stressing you out? What are you worried about? Um, I think for me, I have a unique situation because I'm older and I have no problem with someone being younger, showing me the ropes or, you know, obviously they've been doing it, whether it be a year, two years, you know, they know what they're doing. But I think the biggest struggle for me isn't the inmates or the arrestees coming in. I think the biggest struggle is uh, everything's like a really big pissing contest. And I'm like, it, so you have young officers who are wanting to shoot up through the ranks and they're wanting to, you know, show themselves and, and that they can shine. And I've had a couple of younger officers, you know, they're 21, 22. And, and where I'm at, you can start as a correctional officer at 18 years old. I don't know if you guys have the, the same thing. So we have quite a few that are pretty young uh, that were explorers or cadets or whatever. And, you know, then they went to the jail and that's kind of their next step into maybe going on the streets or whatever uh, the trajectory of their career is going to look like. But it's like, you know, I go to uncuff someone or even just doing a pat search and they're coming up because they see a sergeant, 
nearby and they're like, oh, here, here, move, I'll just do it. And I'm like, I, I wasn't struggling. I wasn't asking for help, but they'll just kind of come and step on toes. And they'll be, oh, I found a pipe. I found a pipe in his pocket. And then they're asking, you know, well, Reagan, weren't you supposed to be doing that pat search? Like what, how, how did you not find that? I'm like, they just came in front of me and, you know, and they're like, well, you need to tell them, no, I got it. So I guess finding my voice amongst my coworkers is now becoming a struggle now that I'm more comfortable, you know, talking with inmates and stuff, but now I need to speak up and be like, no, you're, I got it. I'm stationed here. You know, I'm the booking officer. Step off. If I ask you for help, sure. But I, I've seen that kind of uh, happen a few times. I, uh, I, I completely understand that. I think that I do. I know that uh, you talk about showing that they can shine. What it is, is there's actually a lot of ass kissing going on. And yeah. not, on, not only that, you know, ass kissing can be kind of positive. You know, someone's, even if you have a dim view of someone kind of being that kind of person, at least they're like stepping up and they're doing work and they're being proactive and they're, they're catching the pipes that they're supposed sure. to catch in booking. The bad part about it is what I heard was like, oh, Reagan, weren't you supposed to be doing this? They're throwing someone under the bus to make themselves look better. Uh, that's what I really hate. That's something that's very, very common in corrections. I, I, I will go ahead and risk to say that that's something you're going to be up against for the rest of your career, or at least until you're, you're very well established, that people are going to attempt to uh, e exploit you know, uh, any kind of failing uh, and then catching it and then reporting it to the supervisor as, as them saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm a superior officer. I'm the one that's, that can do this job better. And I'm the one that's really making sure that things go, go well around here. And it's a very negative side of corrections. And it was something that was very common in, in my environment. My environment was more toxic than most. Jake, is that something that you see a lot there? And how do you deal with officers that are, that are attempting to kiss your ass or, or throwing people overboard? Uh, well, that was a, a pitfall I also had uh, early on in my career. I remember a sergeant talking to me and they're like, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And I was like, well, so-and-so told me to do that. And the sergeant was like, well, you were trained. Were you trained to do it that way? And I said, no. And they're like, well, then you need to stand up for yourself. You need to do what you know how to do. And I know, you, you know, Reagan, you haven't been through the academy yet. You don't know. Um, those sorts of things, but like you, you'll see there's some like old school techniques and stuff from the grizzled old officers that are all burnt out and they're just lazy and trying to cut corners and you'll see things like that. Um, there is, you know, a, always some sort of pissing contest going on, but there's also kind of a, a trial period with officers where they'll kind of give you hell or they won't even learn your name until you get through the academy or whatever, whatever each individual off officer's thing is. And to that, I'll say, I understand that to a point, but at the same time, um, I used to say that like some of these officers, if they'd been there for 11 years, you had to have at least 11 years experience in order to know what you're doing. But what's odd is two years ago, it only took nine. So it is, it is kind of bullshit. Some of the um, standards that people will put out there, you'll see things, um, and you're just going to have to learn your way. You're going to have to learn that, yes, policy and procedure, you want to stay within that. Yes, you want to stick as closely to the techniques as possible. 
um, but also know what you can and can't do in order to get your job done and do it safely. So that's going to be something that you'll have to navigate here in the course of starting your career is like, how do I do this correctly, but not listen to the wrong people and not get involved in that toxicity and not um, allow them to make you feel less than just because you're new, because just because you're new doesn't mean you have potential. It doesn't mean that you can't do this job. It's just uh, sometimes it's other people's uh, failings and their insecurities, and they're just projecting that on you. So don't feel bad. Totally. Totally. And um, to like to piggyback off that, it's something um, that just made me think of. There's a, another officer who's been there a million years and uh, she was kind of shadowing me just, listening to me talk to inmates and stuff she was like what is with all this please and thank you and I'm like oh oh, this is just manners that my parents taught me growing up (laughs) and you know and she was like these aren't just regular people they don't deserve you know this and that you're wasting time and I was like what the heck so this was you know I was maybe a week or two in and so I'm like oh okay yeah you know so it's not like total pleasantries where i'm like excuse me sir please remove your shoe and like you know whatever but when when they say please when they say thank you you know i give them the same courtesy and that's how i understood it like why make my job easier or like poke the bear and that was something that i noticed that she did a lot and you know someone would be completely compliant and she would just completely you know irritate them to make them like snap and me being new you know I can't change it now but when she told me that I was like oh okay you know so then I started being a little more like direct when they're saying please when they're saying thank you not even responding back I'm like get in there you know get in the cell slamming the door or whatever and She's like, yeah, you know, that's the way you need to do it. You know, these people are crooks. These people are no good, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you know, to get her off my back, I'm like, all right. So that's how I'll be. And then my training officer saw me, uh, you know, someone saying please and thank you and me just not responding to them. And I'm like, do this, do that. And they're like, oh, can I please? And I'm like, no, you can't, you know, this, whatever. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what what's going on he thought I was having a bad day or something happened that I was upset and I was like no nothing's going on and he was like why are you why are you talking to people like that and I was like oh well you know so-and-so said and he was like so that's how she does things like do you want to be do you want to be that type of officer it's like well no I don't he was like well then why are you taking her advice to do this and he was like you were doing fine there's nothing wrong with you know not favoring or anything like that but being courteous and if they're saying please if they're saying thank you uh you know just giving them the same courtesy back and then if they're not saying please they're not saying thank you you don't need to it's fine yeah but i think um, i think what you're 
I think what you're talking about is is just professionalism and, and being who you are as a person, as an officer. I, I think that that's very yeah. important to discuss. And there's many different kinds of correctional officers. And to be yeah. fair, we, we need more than one kind because suppose this officer so-and-so who's, uh, you know, rough around the edges and she's giving commands to someone and that person is not cooperating with her and it's escalating to the point where she's going to have to go hands-on or use force. It could be yeah. that you're in the area and that, uh, that, that inmate has been there for a little bit and they know you better. And then all of a sudden you're going to come over and you don't even have to say anything. Right. But you're there, you're backing up your fellow officer. You're not undermining her. You know, you're not, you're not there to, to play good cop to her bad cop. But if that person, instead, if they say like, you know, I'm trying to do this and then they say, well, officer Reagan, you know, I'm trying to do this and, and you could step in there and be yourself without undermining and you can diffuse that situation just because that person knows that you're someone else that they can talk to, someone that they can listen to, and kind of collaboratively you can solve issues that way. That said, I don't want to get on like a sexist rant here, but like I did know a lot of female officers who were just ball busters. To be fair, I knew some men that would do that too, but it seemed like a lot of females, they get disrespected by inmates, they get disrespected by male officers, and either they get tired of that disrespect and they fight back or they're har harboring feelings of inadequacy and they're overcompensating for it. Cause I've just known a lot of female officers who they're instigators, they aggravate situations, they make things worse. And it's because they're, they're mad all the time and they're always, they're, they're always set to 11. And those things, uh, they, frankly, when I was brand new, we had, I, had, I can remember clearly a female officer who put me in a very, very dangerous situation because she just would not, stop escalating the situation and she was a corporal too so it was like she had a little bit of rank on me and when you're new it's very tough to know who to take cues from who you should be like who you shouldn't be like like jake said there's going to be officers there that are not role models for you exactly and, and you have to find a way to discriminate what kind of officer do i want to be and who should i emulate and who are my role models and sometimes that's not even your field training officer sometimes we get bad field training officers that there's some kind of incentive or bonus for being a field training officer. So they're really there for that, <laughs> that extra bonus and they don't care about doing a good job. Is, is that wait, something wait. that you've encountered too? Uh, I know you were I a field get, training officer, Jake. So was I. Do, so do, do, do you guys get bonuses for, for field training? It's fucking bullshit. I, I didn't, I didn't I, get anything. for that. No, I didn't either. But I, I actually, <laughs> when my captain said, do you think we should approach the leadership about doing like a 5% bonus? You know, to be an FTO, I said, no, because mm. you're going to get people who only want to do that for that. You have we have a whole bunch of people here that are really experienced, but they're really not great officers. They're the, we're trying to turn this new batch of officers to not be them. So let's not create mm. an incentive for them to take on this role of responsibility that they're never going to take seriously. So I, I don't think FTOs, should, at least for corrections, should be a, a pay bump. We get well, and ours. I, I know that ours are a 5% increase. Okay. Well, uh, for ours, it's it's kind of like you can uh, basically do a letter of intent that that's what you want to do. But it's it's a discussion that goes from the training cadre and sergeants evaluate who can and can't be field training officers and people come on and off. So that's that's a way to kind of combat a little bit of that. I just want to interject before we continue um, on. Uh, like you said, there's various types of officers, um, John, and. But something, I don't know what you're, Reagan, what the demographic of people you're dealing with, but like we have a very large uh, contingent of uh, gang members where, where I work and respect is, it 
extremely important to those people. You can be come from a completely different line of work, life, race, all the things that they break themselves up by and that you are adversarial with them because of just who you are. But if you treat them with respect, a lot of times you will um, be able to get compliance and stay safe. So, and also I would say as far as dealing with situations, I definitely do the ask, tell, make, you know, it's like, I try to be, um, I try to be, you know, polite at first within reason, but they understand it and then tell them, well, this is not, this is not really a request. I, I may have phrased it as a request, but you need to do this. And then if they don't comply, then you go forward with um, use of force or things like that. But just a couple things to keep in mind. Sorry, John. No, I, I think that's a great point. You know, professionalism and respect will get you a long way with most people. And if you're working in a jail, this is kind of where I'm stepping out on a limb because I never worked there. But it's like uh, you're going to encounter people of all walks of life. That officer so-and-so said, these are crooks. These are no good people. Yeah, there's a lot of those in jail, but there's also some people who are there for the first time, people there for just the second time. You know, maybe they're just they're having setbacks or failings or whatever, but there's all different degrees of people and that you're going to encounter in jail and they all just need to be treated professionally. There's no such thing as being too professional. Um, and like like Jake says, like, you know, you can start out open hand of kindness, kind of, you know, being that person that can be someone they can relate to. And if that doesn't work, you can escalate your tactics and you can say, well, you know, actually, you know, you don't have a choice in the matter. So we're going to go ahead and do this. And then all the way until you get compliance, you know, however far that is. So uh, most of all, I encourage you to find a, a role model there that you like, whoever that is, someone that mm -hmm. you can, you can envision yourself being that person in a year or five years and then, and then pursuing that. Uh, are you seeing a lot of disrespect from the old timers that are there? I know that when I was brand new, I didn't get talked to at first. I would be, I would be referred to in the third person well present as fish cop. They would say, Hey, why don't you and the fish cop go, uh, go over to the chow hall and open that up. And they would talk about me like I wasn't even there. And they would, <laughs> they would call me that is, are you getting treatment like that at all? Uh, no, I'm not. I think besides the, the couple of people who are kind of just stepping on my toes a little bit. And wanting to, you know, outshine me um, or the old cop that had been there for a long time. And, but, you know, overall, like everyone is, is pretty nice. Um, and it's all like a new, new age kind of thing. Cause I know back in the day, it was like, you were the rookie, uh, definitely outside of work. Like you did not hang out with anyone outside of work, like, you know whatever it was, but I've been invited to things outside of work. I didn't go to it just because I was like, eh, maybe I'll give it some time. So I was like, oh, you know, I actually, I'm busy, you know, that night, but you guys have fun. But I think next time they invite me to, to go out for drinks or dinner or whatever outside of work, I'll go. Cause I do want that camaraderie, but I, am a little bit hesitant um, just because I know there's, there's always like a lot of clicks. There's uh, cheating going on there, you know, whatever it may be. So I'm still treading lightly, but I think the next time they, they invite me out, I'll, I'll probably go. Um, but I feel like, yeah, everyone has been maybe the first week or two was 
people just kind of stepped back. They just didn't really like talk to me a lot, but it wasn't like blatant disrespect. Um, they just kind of like kept their distance and they were just kind of feeling me out. Uh, but after two weeks, everyone was super nice with me and, and, you know, pretty welcoming and stuff. So if they invite you to go out snipe hunting in the middle of nowhere, don't go. <laughs> I, I have my own thoughts and feelings about why uh, you might be treated better than me. Could just be that you're at a much better facility. Like I said, mine was pretty toxic and it was full of some pretty toxic people. Jake, what do you think about uh, being brand new and fraternizing, you know, at, at, with your coworkers? Is that important? Is that something that's dangerous? Like she said, you might fall in with the wrong click. Like, what's your view on that? I know that you're a sergeant now, so there's 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 kind of some rules or policies about how you fraternize with officers. But when you were new, was that something mm -hmm. that was important to you? Or what did you think about that? I, I kind of, I had my, um, I didn't have like a huge family or anything, but I did spend time, you know, with my partner at the time outside of work. I didn't get involved in a lot of, a lot of the officers were similarly, they were, um, it's 21 at my agency. So I was in my mid twenties um, when I first started. So I was, you know, a handful of years older than people and um, just had some more life experience. I'd owned my own business, done different things, lived in di different places and stuff. So I didn't get a you know, really fit in with the super young officer click. There was definitely um, where I worked, there was a lot, a lot of drinking and stuff that went on. And I did participate and have a few parties and hang out with some people from time to time. But it was the rare occasion when they'd be like, oh you're going out they're like oh damn well okay well i gotta go out then because this is they knew this is like a biannual thing and that could be twice a year or every two years that i would go out and uh do something i did um do things outside of work with some of the people um you know go shooting in the desert and do, doing stuff like that went fishing things like that but um there's definitely activities that go on with certain groups and stuff that um, yeah, you have to be careful to avoid. So I was kind of half in half out myself. I was very selective with who I went with and what I did always brought my own transportation. Um, I think I told the story on like one of our first episodes, of hard time about how, uh, I went out with some people. They went from our first location drinking to a second location, and then they were going on to a third and I'm like, okay, well, I've got a double shift in the morning so I'm going to cut off around midnight and then I found out that uh, uh, when one of the officers got maced at the uh, bar and grill that's kind of when I uh, cut bait because I was close to home and I left and then uh, that same officer uh, and his friend got roofied at a club within the next couple hours so <laughs> like I said it's uh, it can get pretty rowdy with officers they work hard and play hard um, so definitely be careful who you uh, do things with and what you're doing. Uh, I, I was luckily to be not very popular, so it wasn't a huge problem for me. But uh, <laughs> you, you do have to be careful who you fall into. There, there's, a, there's such a thing. You mentioned camaraderie. There's a support group that can be had by people who uniquely understand your job. And it's very important, not only because you need that support emotionally and professionally, but because you don't want to be, you really don't want to be an outsider. You know, if you're someone that's not fitting with the other officers, the inmates can tell that. I know that because 
I remember one time when I was new, there were four officers standing in the rec yard over here, and I was like on patrol. I was walking around the yard. And one of the inmates came up and talked to me, and he said, well, you know, why aren't you standing over there with those guys? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, do they not like you? <laughs> you know? And he was kind of like testing the waters to see if he could separate me from them in terms of, you know, wh whose side was I on was on my own side. Were they going to back me up? You know, did I feel like I fit in? So there's some of that. You, so you, you really do need that camaraderie. But again, you know, use discrimination. Uh, don't fall in with the wrong crowds. The people that are going out there and getting nuts and getting drunk every night. Wait, they, use discrimination or discretion? Discrimination. I'm telling you to oh, discriminate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm telling oh, okay. you to I'm telling you to actively make the choice not to not to hang out with certain people based on their behavior. I'm telling oh. you to discriminate for sure. Oh, okay. Use just you're going to use your discretion all the time whether or not you want to do something. Right. Well, I'm telling you to discriminate against people that that you don't want to fall into. And the and the reason why I say that is because the a lot of these officers that go out there and party this hard, they will show up to work drunk too. Um, oh yeah both jake and i have yeah. seen that and it's it's a huge stain in our profession and it's one thing that really separates us from being police officers and getting the respect of police officers is that we have people in corrections who will behave that badly you know if you're a police mm -hmm. officer and you show up and you have something like that going on that could be a huge setback in your career it could be a reason for termination or whatever for whatever sure. reason it's it's more tolerated in our profession or it's more attempted and, and more people get away with it in our profession and I guess I just suggest to you, if you want to be safe, if you want to, you know, advance in your career and you just want to be a professional and someone that a new officer is going to look up to someday, just generally don't fall in with those folks. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll find there's a lot of terms and stuff that sound bad that you definitely uh, not only that you're going to use and things that you're going to do in corrections. You know, we segregate like we segregate for for safety reasons you know we we use the i word we call them inmates because there is that separation you do discriminate and you also profile you're going to get really good like that that officer that was in control was watching your body language and you know he's looking around and he knows you're new but um from watching cameras and control and stuff for a while because i did do that um a lot for a while um because we had, we rotate posts all the time, but now you can tell by people's body language. You're going to watch hands and intent. You're going to tell who's nervous and and things like that as you gain proficiency in the job, and you're going to just have to trust your spidey sense on some things too, and just be like, okay, something something's not right here, and you'll see those things more often. I mean, some of those officers that are jumping ahead of you to try to get a pipe. They're probably picking up on physical cues, tattoos, body language, you know, mm -hmm. are they shifting their weight, stuff like that. Like, okay, well, somebody's got something, they've got something in their prison wallet. You know, it's like <laughs> things that uh, yeah. uh, Drew talked about the visual pat search. Um, you know, you'll, you'll just look at somebody and you can tell that something's off. So, um, yeah, it's things yeah. like that will definitely change. And I, I hope you're not quite as paranoid as me like i stand sideways in the line at the store and stuff so no one walks up behind me so hopefully it won't completely yeah modify your behavior you like kind of side blade at people and um situational awareness is good especially in populated areas but um 
hopefully you can turn that spidey sense off a little bit and relax outside of work. But because I, we have interacted before Reagan, you you, we have, I've actually talked to you a little bit about the employee pre-employment process. You sent me some messages with some questions before, um, a while back. So, you know, having your friend set and having a life outside of corrections and other things to do is commendable. And I'd say, do your best to keep up with that because, yeah, you, you will find some people that you want to interact with, but um, it's good to have other things to do and to be able to turn it off. Yeah, definitely. And uh, no, I know what you mean with the spidey senses. I'm starting to develop those already as I'm doing pat searches. And like I said, I, I do a million a day because I'm in booking and I see them start to get nervous or, you know, we tell them to look straight ahead and they keep wanting to like look down and they're looking at their coin pocket on the right side of their jeans and I'm like is there something in there just tell me now because I I don't want to get hurt I'm gonna find it either way but if there's a blade or something in there you need to tell me because you're gonna be in a lot bigger trouble if I get hurt and they'll be like yeah yeah I have a I have a razor blade in there or whatever you know so you start to to develop those outside of work I don't feel like I mean Besides just little things, sitting at a restaurant, you know, facing, sitting to where I can face the door and kind of watch what's, who's coming in and out and things like that, but uh, nothing detrimental, but uh, yeah, I, I want to try to keep the two separate as much as I can, as far as not let it, um, like you said, be super paranoid outside of work and just, fortunately, I work really far away from well fortunately and unfortunately with gas prices but uh the chances of me running into someone is a lot less likely because um I'm you know almost an hour away from the jail I work at so I don't have to worry about that as some of my coworkers they live right in the city so they're you know they could be at Walmart and they're like oh my gosh there's a you know an inmate or whatever you know and they've already had a situation with them. So then they're like dodging them through the store or have to leave. It's less likely for me. And I think that's going to help with me being less on edge because it's just, you know, what are the chances where I live? No one's going to know what I do for work um, based on looking at me. And I, you know, I most likely am not going to run into someone that I would know from the jail anyway, uh, where I'm at. Yeah, that's uh, something that will stick with you, though, particularly once you've been there for a while and you get repeat offenders. Even the other day, I took a phone call about a cow in the road from someone who I knew from the prison for many, many years. I said, you know, I'm asking him what his name is just because he called and he spells his last name out to me because because it's kind of an uncommon last name. So he spells it out. And, I, and then I just say it back to him like I know how to pronounce your name because. I have seen you naked a dozen times and I, I have fought, <laughs> I have actually been in a physical fight with you before. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if like you finally figured out your life and you're not doing drugs anymore. If you're actually going to call for there being an animal in the road, because it seems like a, <laughs> seems like a socially responsible thing to do. So good for you, I guess. But you know, particularly those who make a, a big impression on you, you know, there's always a chance that you'll encounter them at some point later in life. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting because you'll have, deep insight into what their lives and their personalities really like you see people at their worst you're not when they're not at their mm-hmm. best or they're not being professional and 
uh, it can be it can be weird. Uh, I've gone to a restaurant before and in kind of a bad part of town and seen three people all at once. I'm like, the three of these people in here have threatened to kill me before. Like, I'm not. Right. I'm just not staying because I'm just not going to enjoy breakfast today. So that's <laughs> that's a that's a penitentiary thing that's maybe a little different because you know I was there six years and there was people there I saw every single day of those six years. So th- that's kind of a, a different experience. It's like you can't you you can't start this job and be good at it. I yeah. don't think that there's a person out there that's like, oh, I'm just a natural correctional officer. I don't think that there's any such thing. Uh, so it I, just I takes right. time. It takes so, and and I notice the development in myself on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And I think back to my first few days when I was getting lost in the jail and control had to like tell me how to get back. And I'm like, freaking out like i guess i just live here now on whatever floor i'm stuck on you know <laughs> like so uh you know and just how panicked i was and and like i said how i i wasn't even i didn't even think doing strip searches were weird because my brain couldn't even process how weird it was that i was shining a flashlight up someone's holes you know <laughs> uh, because all i was thinking was okay, am I going to miss something? And is this person going to turn around and attack me naked? It is, are they going to cough and something, some projectile is going to come and hit me in the eye? You know, <laughs> it's all those things are going through my brain. I wasn't even thinking of the fact that there's this little creature, you know, staring at me. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's so weird. I, I could have, you know, and I had plenty of time to prepare for the role since it took them almost a year, you know, to, to finally hire me on. And it doesn't matter. You can prepare for the role all you want. And no matter what you think the job is going to be like when you start it, it's, it's different. It, you can't imagine what it's going to be like until you're there. Yeah. That's, I think you put it a really uh, thoughtfully. And uh, I think just, also, there's you don't know what the job's going to be like, and no one's a natural at it. And that's because a correctional officer can be so many different things. Like you can be, uh, you know, like that one officer that's you know a little bit too abrasive, and you can be the really professional one, or you can be like me, where I'm very aloof and, and hard to understand, or or Jake, you know, <laughs> where he's picking up people by their hair and swinging them around at other people. Um, you you could be a lot of different things as a correctional officer, and uh, it's it's an exciting career. I hope that it works out for you. I know that uh, one of the fun things about being new is that you usually will have some kind of story, a story that you could tell your family, or your friends. Like right now, what's your favorite story? When ask people ask you, Reagan, like what's it like, you know, working at the jail? What's the story that you tell them? Mm, uh, wait, how how front like family friendly is this? channel oh you say whatever you want to say i mean you know (laughs) right you Uh, know you know my name uh, is an expletive right so his little name is literally full send his his middle name is literally f word so i think you're fine so i think the my best story so far is i think this was maybe my second week a lady came in and arrestee we found some drugs on her or whatever paraphernalia so we're like, okay, we've got to do a strip search on you before we can bring you into the facility because now we already know that you had stuff smuggled when you said you didn't have anything on you. So just part of procedure. And I go to take her back. It was one of my first um, solo strip searches. I think at the beginning, they would usually have someone 
kind of just standing by and the lady, she, you know, she goes in there and she tells me, uh, she was a transient. So, uh, she hadn't showered in, I don't know how long. And, um, she was like, Oh, you know, just for full disclosure, you know, I, I'm on my period. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I've done a million strip searches of women on their periods. It's fine. I'll give you a, a replacement, you know, pad or tampon, whatever you need. Come on, let's go. Like, she's like, um, taking her time with, you know, peeling off every little piece layer. And I'm like, come on, let's go. Like, you want to get this over with? I want to get this over with. So she starts pulling her pants down. And she was like, well, just so you know, I didn't have any tampons or pads. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can give you one. You know, what do you want me to do? If you, if you have blood in your underwear, there's nothing I can do about that, but we'll provide you with some products if you need them. Come on, let's go. Like, so then she's like, pulls her underwear and then she pulls out this huge wad of toilet paper. Like this shit was like a half a roll of toilet paper. And I was like, okay. So I pick up the trash can and I, you know, bring it to her. And I was like, just toss it in there. She was like, sorry. I'm like, there's no need to be sorry. Like, let's just get this over with. So she, I, I, so she pulls her underwear off and she had like shards of toilet paper all in her bush and it was insane like I was like oh my gosh and just the smell and I was like okay come on let's just get this over with turn around you know bend at the waist spread your uh, butt cheeks with your hands and cough and I like flick on my flashlight I'm like go ahead and then she coughs and like a snow globe pieces of toilet paper go shooting out everywhere and they're fluttering down and I'm like this is a nightmare snow globe and I was like yep you're good I nothing's there like go ahead and get back so that's one of my favorite stories is like this snow globe vagina fest that (laughs) I encountered and I was like uh it was like a confetti machine of stinky toilet paper that had been rolled up in there for weeks and uh, yeah that was that was probably one of my favorite ones and then I had another guy that um he stripped naked in it in the holding cell just in booking and I go over there I was like hey and I knock on the door I was like what are you doing I was like put your clothes on you're exposing yourself and you know that that's not cool so go ahead and put your clothes on and he looks at me dead in the eye and he was like, you smell like shit because you've been here three days. And I was like, what? <laughs> so that was another one too that I thought was funny. So that's a new saying that I say, you smell like shit because you've been here three days. <laughs> Those are uh, really uh, classic jail stories that, again, you're in a walk of life now that's just, it would never be like anything else. Jake, anything else? Uh, I was going to say just one more thing I forgot to um, say about uh, fraternizing with people at work. Just be careful, too. Um, hopefully you don't have people who are unscrup- unscrupulous enough to, like, share personal information. But we've also had that before where some uh, some of the newer officers, and that could be partially why they're kind of skeptical of you, too, is maybe they've had this experience in the past where mm-hmm. they share something personal and then um, about just general about their life. And then people start talking about it. And also conversations you have in front of inmates with other officers, just know they're always listening. 
and they tried to use stuff. So sometimes we've had where they're like, oh, well, so-and-so told my personal information because I've only talked to this officer about it. And I'm like, okay, uh, did you talk about it in the unit or on the phone? Like, oh, <laughs> so uh, just just yeah. something to keep in mind. Yeah, totally but uh, I think sense. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much all I got on on new stuff. If you need to um, get a hold of me, um, I just started. I was talking with um, John before the podcast. I have uh, Jake Motherfucker Welder one word on Instagram now, so that people can contact me with questions. Um, if you're in the similar process as Reagan, you're trying to get. And you have questions about applying in the academy, what to expect, um, that sort of thing. I share most of my juicy stories on here. Um, but just in case anybody else has questions or if you have questions in the future, um, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Can, thank you. You can reach him, Jake Motherfucker Welder on Instagram. I'm difficult to look at pictures. So if anyone has 10 minutes to type in our handles, you could definitely reach us there. Uh, we, appre we appreciate you for being here, Reagan, for sharing your experience. I think that was this was actually unique in our history of doing the show is that uh, you reminded us of what it's like to be brand new and what it's like to just become a correctional officer. And uh, it really um, reminded me a lot of, of what that was like for me. And I appreciate you sharing your vantage point and uh, telling people who might be considering it what they're getting into, you know, both uh, kind of the head game with other officers and like, uh, you know, horrifying genital snow globe situations, you know, <laughs> it really, really yeah. runs the gamut of all different things. So thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Jake, uh, he has a tradition on the show where he ends every episode with a joke. I'm going to have him give it to you because not once in 32 episodes have I ever understood the joke. So Jake, go ahead. Well, this one's not actually not in the form of a question, John. So uh, I'll just I'll just say this one to Reagan. I'll direct it at you, even though you can't see me because of my anonymity. Got so it. a uh, naked ma naked man broke into a church. The police chased him around, and they finally caught him by the organ. All right, <laughs> that was a great joke. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, all right. <laughs> Hopefully, you never have that experience. Yeah, don't ever, you know, make sure you wear gloves and uh, don't ever put your ha hand somewhere where your eyes haven't been first. That's what you need to know for searches and grabbing people. Make sure your eyes go before your hands. All right. Uh, I'll close it on out. Thanks for joining us today. Good night, America.